be a horrible start to a sermon. But uh, I love the show Deadliest Catch. If you've ever seen the show Deadliest Catch, it's their crab fishermen up off the coast of Alaska, and it's supposed to be one of the most dangerous jobs in all of the world. And I'm, we've watched it in our home for the last 14 or 15 years, however long. It's been on, and every season there's you know the, all this drama and different things, and you'll see waves crash over the boat, and boats will crash, or the buzzers will go off, and they think they're going to sink. But every year, at least once, somebody falls overboard on one of the ships that this crew is following. Like every year, there'll be somebody, hasn't happened yet this year, we're on episode five if you're following along, and, uh, but it hasn't happened yet, but there will be. At some point this season, somebody will be on a stack of pots, these giant metal pots on this boat, and a big wave will come, and all of a sudden, somebody in the wheelhouse will go, where's Bob? And they'll find Bob in the ocean, they throw a lifeline over, and they bring him in, and if you fall in, it's, it's supposed to be like 30 seconds to a minute before you die. Like the water's so cold that hypothermia sets in, it can kill you in a matter of seconds. And they rescue this guy and they bring him on the boat and they wrap blankets around him and he's hugging people because he's thankful he's alive and he's shivering and they're trying to keep shock from setting in. And, and every year you see the same thing and the guy's always so grateful and he's always like, man, I, I can't believe that happened or my life flashed before my eyes and he's hugging people and he's more careful than he's ever been and you see it every season. But you know what I've never seen in the 15 seasons I've been watching this show? I've never seen one of those guys get up and go, you know what, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> like, I've never seen one of them get up and go, you know what, that wasn't that bad. I actually like the bottom of the ocean better than being on the ship. Not one of them has gotten up and said, you know what, fellas, that rescue felt so good. I bet you feel really good about yourselves. I'll just jump right back in so you can do it again and we'll feel that much better. Like, that would be ridiculous, right? Well, Paul, in our text this morning, as we're in Romans chapter 6, as we continue to walk through the book of Romans this summer, in Romans chapter 6, Paul begins with what seems like an equally ridiculous question. But then Paul's going to go on and answer this question, and what we're going to see is Paul's going to talk about how many people who have been rescued from certain death, yet they always seem to want to jump back in. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. And yet, you're going to discover, we're going to discover together that many of us do this all the time. In Romans chapter 6, we're going to read the first 14 verses to get started here this morning. But the first verse, Paul says, what shall we say then? He's talking about in the last two chapters, if you've been following along with us, with us here at Journey, because Jesus has rescued us and because we are freed from sin and because sin no longer has, uh, there's no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace can abound? Should we just keep on sinning so that then grace will be shown all the more? If grace is so great and grace appears when we sin, maybe we should just keep sinning so then grace could be that much more. If being rescued is so great, maybe we should keep being taken captive so rescue could happen more often. And Paul begins his answer in verse 2. He says, by no means. And I love the language, I said this a couple weeks ago, that Paul uses in Romans. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried 
therefore with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He says if we've been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly be united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. He says we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He says one who has died has been set free from sin. He's been rescued, right? He says now if if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with Jesus. We know that Jesus being raised from the dead will never die again because death has no longer has dominion over him. <clears throat> for the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life Jesus lives, he lives to God. See, you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus, let sin not let not sin therefore reign any more in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, those who have been rescued. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will no have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Romans chapter 6 is really about this one giant theological, biblical word that we use a lot, this word called sanctification. That's really what Paul is speaking of, and that word, all it really means is growing to live and look like Jesus, growing to live and look more like Jesus. And Paul says because you and I are now unified with Jesus through baptism, we each now have the power and the ability to pursue a holy life that brings glory to God. He says sin no longer has dominion over you. And Paul takes what seems like a ridiculous question. This question of, well, since rescue felt so great, why don't I just keep getting trapped? Why don't I just keep getting held captive so that way I could be rescued again because rescue is so great. Why don't you just keep on sinning because grace is so wonderful? And Paul, in that ridiculous question, he gives a really simple, truthful answer that you and I need to own this morning. In this section, it's really easy. Paul gives us a simple truth, and he gives us a simple challenge. And Paul says the simple answer to that question is, You can't do that anymore because you are dead to sin, and you are alive in Christ. Paul answers the ridiculous question of verse 1, shall we just go on sinning so that grace will increase, with a beautiful, common-sense question in verse 2. Paul says, we are those who have been dead to sin, how could we live in it any longer? Paul says if if sin has already died in us through Jesus, then why would we bring it back alive? If it's dead, how can it live in me? And Paul goes on to describe this beautiful gift that Jesus gives us through baptism. And he says baptism is this beautiful gift from Jesus, this sacrament where, where we get from Jesus, where we identify with Jesus as we surrender to Jesus. It's this picture where Paul says, my before Jesus self dies, he doesn't exist anymore, 
And I'm raised to a new life that looks like Jesus. He says that old life is, is only a memory. It no longer, the person who held reign in my life before Jesus no longer does. He says I, I've buried a life that was reigned by sin and I've been raised to a new life that is reigned by Jesus. And so church, the question for you this morning is very, very simple. The question for all of us this morning is very, very simple. Who's reigning in your life today? Because Paul says somebody's in charge all the time. Who's holding sway in your life? Is it sin and death? Or is it Jesus and life? See, the word that, that Paul uses in verse 6, the ESV translates it crucified. He says your old self was crucified, it was killed. Other translations say destroyed. The Greek word that Paul actually uses in that chapter, what it means is that sin has been rendered inactive. It means rendered inactive or made to have no effect any longer. Paul says that when you and I surrender our life to Jesus, when we bury our lives in a watery grave and we're raised to a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, he says what happens is sin is killed. It's destroyed. It's rendered to have no effect. It is declared inactive forever. Paul says that being a Christian is not just about adding a, a little new thing to your life. It's not just about saying, yep, Jesus is here and everything's the same. He says it's a brand new personal identification with Jesus. Our identity literally changes. I love that. Who I used to be before Jesus no longer exists. Now, now, don't mistake this this morning. At church, oftentimes we swing the pendulum this way or that way, and most of the time Scripture teaches us that the truth is right in the middle. Paul is not saying that baptism is magic water. There's not some kind of eyedropper of potion that we put in there before you get in there, and the water is what instantly makes you clean. But church, don't miss this this morning. It's not a bathtub either. Baptism is this spiritual, almost unexplainable, eternal gift that Jesus gives us. It's this moment where I identify with Jesus and I bury my old, before Jesus sin identified life, and I'm raised back to a new spirit filled life of freedom. Jesus does something in that moment. It's a beautiful sacrament that God gives us. It's like communion, right? We, we know this morning that, that what we take on Sunday morning, it's not actual blood, it's not actual body. But we also know it ain't juice and a cracker either, right? There's something eternal in communion. There's something spiritual. There's something that it's almost unexplainable it's this gift where we identify and we remember what Jesus did, his broken body and his shed blood, and we internalize it as our own. And Paul says God gives us this beautiful gift of baptism where we literally bury an old life that didn't know Jesus, that's full of sin and deceit and separation, and we are raised with that stripped from us, made clean in Christ. 
First Peter chapter 3 said, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as removal of dirt from a body or not because of the water, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. In our baptism, we die to sin. That means afterwards, if you and I live out our baptism, we stop sinning because sin was killed in that moment when we surrendered to Jesus. We cannot, Paul says, go back to an old way of life because every time we do, we're resurrecting something that Jesus already killed and buried. My favorite thing in the resurrection story of Jesus is when Jesus walks out of the grave, when when the disciples and when the women come to the grave and they find the tomb empty, they don't find it totally empty. They find that Jesus isn't there, but Scripture tells us there's something still in the tomb. There was clothes left in the tomb. All they found was his grave clothes. And it begs the question, why would Jesus walk out of the tomb without his clothes? Why would Jesus, resurrected from the dead, leave that behind? Well, because dead people don't wear, or live people don't wear grave clothes, church. See, burial clothes are only for people who are dead. And Jesus wasn't dead anymore. Paul, later on, identifies being crucified with Jesus as being clothed in Christ. Church, when when you and I surrender to Jesus, we take grave clothes off. And Paul says, if if you and I are asking the question, well, why don't I just keep putting grave clothes on? Because then it'll feel that much better when Jesus takes them off again. Paul says, why would you do that? Grave clothes are for dead people. And you're not dead anymore. Paul says, Jesus died once and for all. And so when my life is raised to new in Christ through Jesus by his death and resurrection, then I can't die anymore. And so it's never fitting for me to put on grave clothes ever again. Now, Paul isn't saying, he's not saying that a Christian will never commit a sin. He's not saying that we won't struggle with sin. What Paul is saying is that we are no longer condemned by sin, right? Paul said that earlier. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says we're no longer held in bondage to sin because that reign was ended when Jesus died at the cross. And here's the beautiful thing here, church. God never commands us to to be dead to sin. Paul never says, hey, Christian, go be dead to sin. Paul tells us that we already are. See, you and I can't go be dead to sin. Only Jesus could defeat and crucify our sinful selves. Paul never says, go die to sin, Christian. Go be dead. Paul says, you already are. And then he commands us to live out that truth in our daily life. And here's the beautiful thing. Whether you do or not does not change the fact that sin has been defeated. Whether you live without sin or with it will never change the fact that sin no longer reigns over those who know Jesus. Whether you and I live a perfect life or a horrible life will not change the fact that sin and death was defeated once and for all at the cross. Paul says you can't go dead to sin, Christian. You already are. He says, so now go live in the truth that you know that that life is gone. 
Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, he said Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Paul says you're not who you used to be. He goes on in Romans chapter 6 as we finish the chapter, he says, so what now? What then? If this is what happens, if this is true, if you and I, our old life has been buried, if we've been raised to a new life in Jesus, so now what? He says, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but we're under grace? He says, by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which will lead to righteousness. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And you have been set free from sin. You have become slaves of righteousness. He says, now I'm speaking in human terms. I'm using a human illustration is what he's saying. Because of our limitations. He says, for just as you once presented your members or your lives as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now present your members or your life as slaves to righteousness, which will lead to sanctification, to lead to looking like Jesus. He says, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? He says, for the end of all those things was death. He says, but now you've been set free from sin. You've become slaves of God. The fruit that you get now leads to looking like Jesus. It leads to sanctification. And its end is eternal life. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the eternal life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul reminds us that the reality is you and I are serving someone or something all the time. Paul says you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. He says, but if you're a Christian, that old life is gone. He says you've been, you've been set free. You've been set free from the bondage of sin and destruction. You've been put in a new place, surrendered to a loving and holy God, which leads to righteousness and eternal life. He says start living in the place that you are. If you were here a couple weeks ago, this is what we talked about in Romans chapter 5, where Paul said that Jesus, when he came and when he died on the cross, he literally changed our location of life. He took us out of this pit of sin and depravity, and he brought us up out of it, and he placed us. It says we now stand in grace, where we are forgiven and we are set free, not by what we've done, but what Jesus has already attained at the cross. The victory's already been won, whether the world recognizes it or not. And Paul tells us that because that is true, this sanctification is an active thing. See, see, justification is something you and I cannot do. Justification, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, is where Jesus made us right with God. Jesus is the one who died in our place and set us free from sin. He paid the penalty. He justified us. He made us right before God. He took us from enemies of God and made us children of God. You and I cannot do that. We have no part in justification. It's only something we can accept. But Paul says sanctification Becoming more and more like Jesus, that is something that we are active in. Justification was something Jesus did for us. But sanctification is something Jesus does with us. 
And he does through us and in us. We have a part in this one. (laughs) Because we know that we are dead to sin. Then we have to daily say no to sin. And yes to Jesus. And actually, I flipped that around. See, I think that's what we think, or at least that's what my type A mind thinks. Because I've been set free from sin, then the first thing i got to do is say no to sin. Because that's what enables me to say yes to Jesus. But that's actually not right. Really what it is is because I've died to sin, then daily I say yes to Jesus. And I pursue Jesus. And I sit with Jesus. And then Jesus helps me say no to sin. And this requires effort. It requires significant time spent with Jesus and his word. Church, I would tell you, I think it requires community. I think it requires gathering together and being reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done. Getting a whiff of eternity like we talked about a couple weeks ago. I think it requires having people around you who love Jesus just like you. Who call you out when you step away from him and who remind you of what you're pursuing on a daily basis. I think the grace of God that he has given us should inspire effort in us to live out that truth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to call, used to call it cheap grace. He says often as Christians we, we live in what he called cheap grace, grace that we think didn't cost anything. He, he, he said this, he said cheap grace is when you talk about forgiveness, but you don't talk about repentance. He, he said it's when you talk about baptism, but you don't talk about church accountability. He says it's when you talk about communion, but you don't talk about confession. He says it's when you talk about absolution, but you don't talk about, you don't talk about personal confession. He says cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without helping people live more like Jesus He says, actually, cheap grace is grace without the cross, and it's actually grace without Jesus. He says, because the grace of Jesus that is freely given was costly. He says, it's costly grace. He says this, he says, it's costly because it does call us to follow And that will cost us something. He says, but it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus who sets us free. He says it's it's costly because it could cost a man his life, and it did cost Jesus his life. He says, but it's grace because it gives you the only true life you will ever have. Verse 21 in chapter 6. I never really sat in that verse a whole lot until the last couple of weeks. And in verse 21, Paul asks this beautiful question if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, Christian, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Things that resulted in death. I sat in that question for quite a while this week. What, what benefit did I reap back in the day from the things that I'm now ashamed that I did? The things that were going to result in death. See, I think sometimes, church, we're not a whole lot different than Israel in the Old Testament. 
You know, they were rescued from slavery and captivity in Egypt. They were set free, and they were on their way to the promised land, and things got hard, and things got difficult, and then they began to complain. And then they began to say, you know, God, it was way better back then. It's like God put them on the boat, and they go, you know what? The work on the boat's hard. It was way better when I was in the bottom of the ocean, almost ready to die. And church, maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I live in that world probably too often. I can be a little bit of a complainer, just making sure there was no amens from the left side over here, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and I can sit there and go, you know what, God, life is hard. Boy, it was way better back before that, back when I didn't have to try to live up to a standard, back when I didn't try to be like Jesus, back when I had things in my life that I can't have in there now, back when I didn't have things that I tried to do now. There's moments in my life where, you know, Jesus, well, I'd be, that was a lot better back before I got back on the boat. And then I read this question. And Paul says, he says, Christian, just for a moment of clarity. <laughs> he says, come on, Justin, just think. What real benefit did you get from the things that you're now ashamed that you did? Why would you ever want to go back to those things that led to death? Paul says in verses 15 through 23 that when we live the life we've been given in Christ, we get three things. He says we get favor with God. God's blessing follows those who are living under his rule. He says we get freedom in Jesus. There is a freedom in living for Christ that you cannot have outside of him. And he says you will bear fruit for the kingdom. Church, I know that to be true. I spent a lot of time this week thinking, I've been a Christian, I'm 44 years old, I've been a Christian almost 24, 25 years of my life. And I remember the day that I stood in a country church, and this guy, he didn't lower me, he dropped me, all right? He dropped me into the waters of baptism, and he barely raised me back up, all right? And from that moment on, I knew that there was, there was favor with God that I hadn't had before. There was a freedom that I never knew existed, and there was fruit for the kingdom that I've got to experience for 20-some years that I didn't experience before. See, church, if you're here this morning and Jesus is in charge of your life, if you're a Christian, when you and I sin, we are acting against not just God, we're acting against who we are. I'm acting against my identity. When I sin, it's primarily because I've forgotten who I am. And I've forgotten what's been done for me in Jesus. Paul says, why would you do that? Paul says, you've been rescued. You've been saved. It's crazy to jump back off the boat. As the band comes this morning, Warren Wearsby, the Bible commentator, says it this way. He says, anything, anything that we worship besides God, it always seems to promise much but deliver worse than nothing. He says that anything that we worship besides God always promises a lot, but it always seems to deliver worse than nothing. He said it's slavery. He said it's a constant treadmill of seeking to grasp or keep hold of something which never delivers. Church, that's not who Jesus died for us to be. 
when Jesus came, we've been given new life. Paul says at baptism, our old life is buried. It's, it's dead. It's, it's put in the grave. And you walk out clothed in Christ. You leave a grave life and a grave clothes behind. There was a man, his name was Second Lieutenant Hiro Onoda. And Hiro Onoda was a former Japanese Army intelligence officer who fought in World War II. But he didn't surrender until 1974. Now, if you're not a history buff here this morning, World War II ended a little bit before that. All right? Those of you that are history buffs got that joke. All right? He spent almost 30 years holding out in the jungles of the Philippines. Onoda continued his campaign well after the war ended. Initially, he lived in the mountains with three other soldiers. And as his fellow soldiers died or one of them surrendered, Lieutenant Onoda refused to believe all the letters, all the notes, all the evidence that had been left for him that the war was over. Story tells us that Onoda finally emerged from the jungle in the Philippines 29 years after the end of World War II. He finally came out of the jungle and he accepted his former commanding officer's order that the war had already been won. It is already over. Onoda formally surrendered 29 years after the war had ended. And by that time, he was wearing a handmade coconut fiber uniform as his, as his old uniform had long since rotted away. Can I tell you something this morning? The war's already over, folks. <laughs> the war ended over 2,000 years ago. When Jesus went to the cross and when he died, the war ended and victory was won. If you're still living for somebody other than Jesus, I don't know how else to say this, then it's time to come out of the jungle. Like that uniform is not who you were meant to be. The war was won 2,000 years ago. Jesus is just waiting for you to officially surrender. He's waiting for you to take off your tattered and war-beaten uniform. These clothes of sin and death that you were never, ever, ever meant to wear. He's waiting for you to come out of the jungle so you can be set free. In Galatians 2, Paul says, I've been crucified with Jesus. I no longer live. But Jesus lives in me. And the life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Church, Jesus won the war over 2,000 years ago. It's long over and gone. And maybe it's hard for you to believe. Maybe you have been waiting and not listening to people who tell you it's been over. Maybe it's never clicked for you. I'm just telling you that Jesus won, and here's the beautiful thing. He won for you. He won the war for his enemies, <laughs> for the people who have yet to surrender. And if that's you this morning, we would love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, to be buried 
and have your old life crucified and killed and be raised anew, clothed in Jesus. That offer is for you. You just got to come out of the jungle and surrender. Surrender.